Hi, this is your host Corbin, and this is your guide for Richard Lester, or Richard Donner's Superman 2. Before we get into the making of the film, allow me to take you back to 1981 to remember the top movies released that year. They were The Evil Dead, An American Werewolf in London, Friday the 13th Part 2, quite a, quite a few horror movies, Time Bandits, For Your Eyes Only, Chariots of Fire, Scanners, The Fox and the Hound, Clash of the Titans, and Stripes. From that year, we have reviewed Raiders of the Lost Ark, Mad Max 2, Halloween 2. Links to those reviews are in the show notes below. If you would like to reminisce more about the films of 81, then head over to letterbox.com. And make sure to follow me and Alan over there. Links to our profiles are below. At the 53rd Academy Awards, Best Picture went to Ordinary People, which is a movie Alan and I both highly recommend. As we talked about last week, Superman 1 and 2 were shot simultaneously. That is, until Donner decided to put sole focus on finishing the first installment after completing 75% of the sequel. During production, Richard Lester, who previously directed The Three Musketeers and The Four Musketeers for the Salkins, who, I'll remind you, were the main producers and the main thrust for getting this movie off the ground, Lester came on board as an intermediary between Donner and the Salkins. At this point, their relationship had a major falling out to the extent they were no longer on speaking terms. Lester had previously been short shrift by the Salkins. He only agreed to come on board the Superman films in order to be properly compensated for the Musketeer movies. Lester became not only the second unit director for the first film, but would go on to replace Donner as director on the second. Donner wouldn't be the only one cut from the sequel. After the major success of the first film, Brando sued the Salkins because they didn't pay his contractual amount. He won the lawsuit receiving $15 million, and his scenes were cut from the movie as per his request and as a way for the Salkins to get around his contract. This further angered Donner, realizing he still wouldn't have full creative control over the sequel. On March 15, 1979, after Lester had finished filming Cuba, the Salkins sent Donner a telegram effectively firing him from the sequel, replacing him with Lester. This worried Warner Brothers' leadership, considering how financially and culturally popular the first was. Not to mention Tom Mankiewicz, who really was the one to write the screenplay, declined to return out of loyalty to Donner. Editor Stuart Baird also declined to return, and Gene Hackman didn't come back, which required a stand-in double and voiceover actor to dub in new lines. Now, with Lester in charge, he brought David and Leslie Newman back to rework the script. The cinematographer died, and the set designer also passed away. Hence, Lester, not wishing to imitate Donner's style, created a whole new vision, which required many reshoots. Think Joss Whedon's Justice League versus Zack Snyder's Justice League. The biggest problem that they all encountered was Reeve wasn't available to shoot. Production had shut down for months due to the above issues, which meant Reeve's contract had expired. He accepted to star in Somewhere in Time, but after filming was complete, he did renegotiate his contract, partly because the Salkins sued him for allegedly leaving the sequel, but he also wanted more creative control, especially since he was wary about Donner being fired. Now, it should be noted Donner was offered co-directing credit since he shot over 40% of the movie. That was a part of the director's guild's rules that whoever, you have to shoot at least 40% of the movie in order to be credited as director. But Donner replied, according to Tom Mankiewicz's book, I don't share credit. It should come as no surprise John Williams did not return to score Superman 2 because the Salkins and him, once again, did not get along. 
This movie was heavily marketed for consumers to purchase clothing, calendars, books, posters, and drinks. Now, remember, this was at the dawn of the 80s. This was when marketing for films was really coming into full swing. It already had happened in the 70s with Star Wars, but this is where it really was going to take off. And we reviewed Dune last year, the David Lynch film. They also marketed the heck out of that. Marketing was huge, huge, huge for movies back then. Like the first film, the Salkins prepared an extended TV cut, incorporating 24 minutes of footage, mainly Donner's footage, back into the film. It wasn't until November 28, 2006, 25 and a half years later, that audiences finally got to see Richard Donner's vision fully realized for the most part. Of course, some of Lester's footage had to be used to fill in gaps, and of course, some of the actors had passed away by then, and they couldn't go back and de-age them. So it just wasn't feasible for him to shoot new material. But the new cut used all of Donner's footage, very little of Lester's, included a new opening and closing, along with restoring Marlon Brando's character Jarrell to the finished film. So we really have two different movies here, which I'll discuss my thoughts on both for my full review next Monday. When Superman finally did make it to theaters, it was Friday, June 19, 1981. A full two and a half years later, essentially, which is surprising considering they already had 75% of the movie shot, but of course they had to do a lot of reshoots, a lot of issues forced it. Now, this was shorter than the first film. This movie still does clock in at two hours and seven minutes, but nevertheless, that first film was pretty beefy at two hours and 23 minutes, especially if you're supposed to consider this one you know, giant super film, you're looking at a movie well over four and a half hours. When it did open, it opened at number one at the box office, just like last time, but with twice as much money, with $14.1 million. Not too shabby, especially for superhero movie, which really still wasn't much of a thing. But nevertheless, this might shock a lot of you listeners. But for those of you that listened to our Indiana Jones and the Raiders of the Lost Ark review, this won't surprise you. Yes, Superman 2 and technically the Cannonball Run dethroned Raiders of the Lost Ark, pushing it from number one to number three um, in its second week at the box office, which, you know, in hindsight is really surprising since that is considered one of the greatest movies of all time. I doubt very many people still remember or even go back and rewatch the Cannonball Run and of course, Superman 2 has its place, but it really has been replaced by the Richard Donner cut. The data for the box office for Superman 2 is a little bit iffy, but it did stay number one for at least three weeks. In its second week, it did beat out MGM's James Bond movie For Your Eyes Only. It also beat out the Bill Murray movie Stripes, which I have seen, not a huge fan of it. Uh, for your eyes only, I don't, I don't remember that being very good either. Uh, the Great Muppet Caper also came out um, from Universal Pictures, and Paramount released their Dragon Slayer, which I saw a very long time ago. It's not a, really a movie for kids, I would say. I'd be curious to return to that one. And I guess the Cannonball Run still was staying strong at number two. So as you can see, it was a huge weekend for new releases. Even got James Bond coming in here. And Superman 2 beat out James Bond. There isn't a lot of information about the foreign markets, if this even was released in the foreign markets. 
The reason there was four numbers last week is because that movie had multiple re-releases. This movie and the sequels, I, I don't think it was released in foreign markets. I just don't even think they had, I mean, with a $54 million budget and somewhat iffy distribution, you know, with Warner Brothers, not quite sure about this movie. It did domestically gross $108.1 million. Compared to a $54 million budget, that's pretty good. And I would also say you have to look at these, this budget as a whole for the most part. So, you know, it's about $109 million budget. And this movie grosses, you know, domestically between the two, you know, well over probably $150 million. So, and then worldwide totals for the first one, you know, and for the sequel, it, it did make back its money. I would say it's not a, you know, a runaway success, but it was a success. I mean, enough for Warner Brothers to want to do some heavier marketing with this. And of course, marketing costs aren't included in this, but then again, neither are sales for all of those toys and, you know, clothes and all that stuff geared towards kids. As for scores for this movie go, it's kind of interesting because there are two separate entries on Letterboxd and on IMDb for the Richard Donner cut, but seemingly for the theatrical version, Letterboxd has it as a 3.3, IMDb at a 6.8 for the theatrical cut, a 7.6 for the Donner cut, which is a huge jump up. And a 3.6 for the Donner Cut on Letterboxd, which is equal to the original. This movie also has an 83 Metascore. This Metascore is for the original theatrical cut based on all the reviews I've seen. So critics actually like this one better for the most part. 85% certified fresh on Rotten Tomatoes. And once again, I believe that's for the theatrical cut. And 76% audience score. So across the board... Critics and audiences still really liked this sequel, and some even said it's a little bit better than the original, which is surprising. I mean, that really doesn't happen very often. Now, of course, the outlier here is the IMDb score at 6.8, which does tell a different story. I would say people have, you know, simmered out on it over the years, whereas at the time, you know, critics were pretty, pretty happy on the movie. They're pretty strong on it. But Nevertheless, that remains to be seen whether I will like it. Those scores do give me hope that I'm in for a really great sequel. And of course, I'm going to have to check out the Donner cut and see how that differs from the theatrical and what I think of both. But nevertheless, you can see across the board, you know, for all of its issues, it still did very well. Thank you listeners for coming along with me as I have been your guide to the production and impact of this film. Now that you have your guide to Superman 2, make sure to subscribe to the podcast for my full review coming next Monday. And tune in the week after as a third time may be the charm with Superman 3. The Silver Screen Guide podcast is edited and produced by Alan and Corbin. Intro and outro music is created by Thomas Rankin. The thoughts and opinions herein expressed are those of the individual and do not necessarily represent those held by Silver Screen Guide. 
Silver Screen Guide is not affiliated with any company or individual involved with the creation of this movie or TV show. No portion of the podcast may be used without express written permission from Silver Screen Guide.